All right, we are ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat. I invite you to come in and find a seat. Welcome back to Newport Church. We are so glad you're here this morning. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Living a Transformed Life. And basically, we are focusing on all the different parts and pieces of what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. And, and uh, we're learning about what salvation means. I think uh, many times as a Christian, I thought that just being a, uh, what, being a Christian, what Jesus did for me on the cross was that my sins were forgiven and that I get to go to heaven when I die. And basically, that's it. And I think we, we as we... Uh, get more and more into the salvation story, the, the message of Jesus, we learn that there's a whole lot more about being a Christian, a whole lot more that Jesus did for us or, or has done for us at the cross than we ever expected. C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer of the Narnia books, in his last Narnia book called uh, uh, The Last Battle, let me go to the next, there we go, uh, in his last book, uh, of the Narnia series called The Last Battle, uh, shows the heroes of Narnia coming to, uh, on the countryside, they come to this little stable, a little broken down, uh, unassuming stable, and they get to the door of the stable, they open up the door, and they walk through the door of the stable. And inside the stable, all of a sudden they find they're not in a building anymore. They're inside this vast countryside that goes on for miles and miles and miles. And they can see, you know, fields and mountains and streams. And, and they can see for as, as far as uh, the eye could see and even beyond. And the, they step inside this little, little stable and all of a sudden they're in this different world. And, and the one quote from the book is, "...it's inside is bigger than it's outside." And I believe that Jesus at the cross, what he did for us, salvation, is just that. It's, it's uh, so much bigger than what you expect when you, when you enter it from, from the outside. We're talking this morning about the salvation of Jesus and, and uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross as to breaking down walls, breaking down walls, breaking down barriers that divide people. Satan uses barriers and walls to to divide people, walls that ultimately cause division, cause mistrust, cause misunderstanding, cause hatred, cause wars, and even cause personal conflicts between, between people. And so that's Satan's scheme. Jesus, on the other hand, not only brings forgiveness, not only brings right relationship with God, but Jesus uh, is... You know, the cross of Jesus is a force that tears down walls. The cross of Jesus is a, you know, this gigantic wrecking ball that d demolishes and smashes, smashes walls. Uh, I want to show you this morning four examples of God at work to break down walls. And so the first really amazing example of Jesus breaking down walls is, I don't know if you ever stopped to think about it, the... Uh, the variety of people that Jesus called to be his, his disciples. And so uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, we're just going to get into it just a tiny little bit. Uh, four examples. So this is the first one. Matthew chapter 4 says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So these are the first two disciples, Simon, Simon and 
Andrew. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So here in the story, we have the first four disciples that Jesus called. So it was Simon, Andrew, James, and John, all fishermen. And then we go a little bit later in the book of Matthew, and we get to Matthew chapter 9, and we get to another disciple that Jesus called. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, I don't know if you get what's happening in the story. The first four disciples Jesus called were fishermen. One of the next disciples Jesus called was Matthew, the tax collector. And then Matthew chapter 10 identifies another disciple as Simon the Zealot. Now, you put all this crew together, and it could have been an explosive crew because the Zealots were like ultra-right-wing Jewish patriots who, who wanted so much to throw off Roman rule that they, they would even resort to terrorism or, or even murder to accomplish their goals, to get rid of the Romans. They were the Zealots. And he must have been so into being a Zealot that it became his nickname. He wasn't just Simon. He was Simon the Zealot. I mean, that became his name. That was, that was who he was. That was his identity. Simon's Instagram post must have been about terror attacks and killing Romans, you know. Uh, and it's likely that, that not only did, did uh, Simon the Zealot not like Matthew the tax collector, because Matthew the tax collector was like a collaborator with the Romans, and, and probably the four fishermen didn't like the tax collector either because uh, the tax collectors were, were cheats and frauds anyway, and these were self-employed guys who, who uh, had to pay their taxes and probably had to pay more because of the, the tax collector's dishonesty. And, and so you got this explosive mix of, of uh, four fishermen and Simon the Zealot on one side and the Matthew the tax collector on the other side, and, and Jesus called them all to be his disciples. Don't you think that's weird? If they all traveled together, I think I would have told Matthew to sleep with one eye open because you don't know what's going to happen when the fishermen and Simon the Zealot gang up on you. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus called Matthew. And we don't have any record in Scripture that Jesus told Matthew, Matthew, you need to stop being a tax collector. And, and there's no record in Scripture that that Jesus, surely Jesus knew that Matthew was a tax collector. And there's no record in Scripture that Jesus, when he called Simon the zealot, ever told Simon, look, you need to stop being a zealot. We don't, we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. You know, what did Jesus call them to? He called Matthew to come and follow me, be a follower of Jesus. He called Simon to come, follow me, be a follower of Jesus. I wonder if Matthew kept collecting taxes. And I wonder if he simply started doing it with fairness and honesty and integrity. That's what happened to the other tax collector in the Bible, Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. He was the one that you know, ran and climbed the fig tree so he, could, so he could see Jesus coming down the road. And Jesus stopped under the tree and called up to him and said, Come down, I'm coming to your house today. 
And Jesus and Zacchaeus have this meeting, and Zacchaeus' life completely changes. And, and Zacchaeus said, look, I'm going to be honest and fair, and I'm not going to overcharge people anymore. Zacchaeus' life changed when he encountered Jesus. And so I believe that Matthew's life changed, and I believe that Simon's life changed. I believe that, that all the lives changed of the disciples who, who hung around and followed Jesus, to the point where in Acts chapter 1, when it talks about the, the 12 disciples and they, they talk about Matthew, they don't say Matthew the text collector anymore. He's just plain old Matthew. His identity somehow changed in those three years to where he's just now plain old Matthew. My point is your life begins to naturally change when you follow Jesus with all your heart. When you honestly lay down your whole life before Jesus you lay down your whole life on the line. The Bible calls you, you're a new person. You're a new creation. That's who you are when you follow Jesus. So we, in the Bible, we see the lives of Jesus' followers as diverse as Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot. And we see their lives change. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Working, praying together. Church tradition holds that that Matthew, Simon, and all these other disciples ultimately went and preached Jesus in many other nations, and nearly all of them died for their faith. Matthew's life certainly changed. Simon's life certainly changed because he was around Jesus. So being with Jesus broke down walls of division and hatred, animosity. Now, where do we see walls like that? In our society, where do we see walls like that in the church? Liberal and conservative, Republican and Democrat, educated, uneducated, nationalities and races, people who mistrust each other, look suspiciously at each other, even hate each other, even male and female, young and old, people who are put in boxes where there are walls. My second example is, uh, comes from Pastor Dave Hess. Some of you heard this teaching about, about uh, male and female. Because the Jewish culture in the time of Jesus was terribly oppressive toward women. People looked back, the Jewish people, uh, teachers and, and leaders would look back to the Garden of Eden and how sin came into the world and... and they mostly blame Eve for sin coming into the world. And, and by inference, not just Eve, but all women who are, who are somehow to blame for sin. Women were, in Jesus' time, in Jewish culture, were, women were unreliable and could not be called as, as witnesses in court. Women did not have the capacity to learn, they, they were taught, and, and so were not taught the law of Moses. Women could not initiate a, a divorce in any circumstance, but a man could divorce his, his wife by simply writing, I divorce you on a piece of paper, and that was the end of it. The story uh, comes from John chapter 4 of Jesus coming through Samaria. It says he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus is at the well. woman comes to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
Doesn't sound like a big deal, does it? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we have here, first of all, a, a wall being broken down where Jesus is actually speaking not only to a woman, but to a Samaritan woman. And, and this woman, uh, we learn later in the story, had been married uh, multiple times. People uh, knew, knew her story, and, and there was an assumption that she was uh, somehow immoral. But, but perhaps, just perhaps, this woman was not necessarily an immoral woman. She just chose her husband's poorly, and they one after another divorced her because it was so easy to do. Because, you know, women could not participate in Jewish feast days. They could not uh, uh, speak to a man in public. They could not speak in the synagogues. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, where, where God, is, God is telling people what the results are going to be of sin in the world. And, and one was had to do with marriage and had to do with the relationship of, of men and women. And, and what God was saying was, this is... This is a sad result of, of sin coming into the world. And one translation of Genesis 3.16 uh, says to Eve, or to women, you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. And there's this culture from Genesis 3 on of, of male domination and female frustration and retaliation. There's the walls built up between men and women. So in ancient Israel, there were Restricted areas where women and children were not allowed. And that's where the Jewish rabbis would go to teach to the men. But Jesus chose to teach in, in open spaces where men and women and children all could be together and all could hear him. Jesus broke through or stepped right over that, that barrier that the Jewish uh, structures had in place. The longest recorded conversation of uh, in the Bible that Jesus had with, with anyone was with this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. The disciples get back, and they're just shocked and horrified. Like, first of all, you're talking to a woman. Second of all, you're talking to a Samaritan woman. How dare you? And you're doing out here in public for all to see. Jesus taught women, such as you know, Mary and Martha, Mary, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, and sitting at a teacher's feet, that was the posture of the student of a rabbi, and she sat at his feet, learning from him. In the Bible, we see Jesus affirming women. Jewish men were affirmed as the sons of Abraham, and Jesus, in Scripture, affirms women as the daughters of Abraham. Luke 13. Who were the first people that Jesus entrusted with the news of his resurrection? It was the women. In a culture where the testimony of women was unreliable. And when the women took the news back to the disciples and the disciples didn't believe it, Jesus rebuked them for not believing what, what the women had, had told them. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the, on the believers, and who was there? Men and women. 
and, and men and women equally received the Holy Spirit as, as it was poured out on them. The mark of being a believer in the New Testament was no longer male circumcision. It was water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism available to men and women. Romans chapter 16, Paul greets the leaders of the churches, 29 leaders. Ten of them are women. Men and women were leaders together in the churches. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul was a, was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was like a strict conservative who followed the letter of the law to the nth degree. So the morning prayer of every Jewish man prayed out loud, prayed publicly, which surely Paul would have prayed, included the words in, the, in this prayer. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile or a slave or a woman. Part of the public prayer of a, of a Jewish man. Imagine being a wife or a little girl and hearing that every morning all the rest of your life. We can clearly see some of the walls that were in place in Jewish society. Segments of discrimination against groups of people. But Paul has this amazing encounter of meeting Jesus supernaturally while he's traveling to persecute Christians. And as a result of meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul himself becomes a Christian. I don't know if you've ever thought or looked at someone and thought, there is just absolutely no hope for that person. I, I know you, you've never thought that. But if you did, that was Paul. <laughs> if you can picture the last person you know who could possibly become a Christian, that was Paul. That, Paul was like that. And then Paul meets Jesus and his whole life changes. His whole mindset changes. His life is changed upside down. And so this same Paul, who would have surely prayed that, that prayer that I quoted earlier, writes in Galatians chapter 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? Because it's almost like Paul is taking that prayer point by point and refuting every point of that prayer. What did it say? Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Now Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, no Jew or Gentiles anymore. Who has not made me a Gentile or a slave? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman? And Galatians 3, Paul writes, There is no female or male, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It seems like Paul took that, that morning prayer and he refuted it one piece at a time all the way through. The third example this morning is the wall between races and ethnic groups. Uh, as I already said, John chapter 4, Jesus preaches the gospel in Samaria. The Jews and Samaria, Samaritans hated each other. They had an ongoing feud for hundreds of years. 
The Samaritans had intermarried with non-Jews. They, they mixed worship of God with worship of other gods. They, they opposed the Jews when the Jews rebuilt Jerusalem. And, and the Samaritans built their own rival temple somewhere else to worship God. And so the Jews regarded Samaritans as dogs and half-breeds. And, and there's this active hostility and hatred. Uh, Samaritans went and scattered like dead bones in the Jewish temple, which was the most sacrilegious thing they could do. And, and the Jews retaliated, and the Samaritans retaliated, and it became uh, almost a war between them. Almost like, I don't know, animosity between Israelis and Palestinians, North and South Korea. Some of us remember the Cold War between the U.S. and Soviet Union. Almost like th that, but even worse. And so here in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, not only does Jesus talk to a woman, he talks to a Samaritan woman. He's in a Samaritan village. He's somewhere where he shouldn't be as a Jewish rabbi. This was, you know, someone he shouldn't even look at. He shouldn't uh, acknowledge that she existed. And Jesus breaks through all sorts of hatred and division and bigotry, and he preaches the gospel in that, in that village to them. The fourth example this morning is, is the most important wall that, that Jesus breaks down. It's the wall or barrier between people and God. It's the wall or barrier between you and, and God. And so back in the Old Testament, when, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and later got to Jerusalem, they, they built structures Places where they went to worship God. First was the tabernacle, a tent uh, that they tore down and set up again. And it was the place where God's presence came. And then in Jerusalem, it was, a, it was a huge, elaborate temple filled with gold. And there was one special place in these buildings where, uh, called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, God's glory was. Hebrews chapter 9 said, into that second place, only the high priest goes, and he only goes in once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. And so there was this special place called the holy place, most holy place. And there was a this special curtain that separated everyone else on the outside from God's presence, this holy place on the inside. And any kind of sin or uncleanness or impurity could not be in there or, or that person would, would die immediately. The high priest entered this place only once a year after an elaborate ritual of cleansing. And if he entered with uncleanness of any kind, he'd be struck dead. The priest had, had a robe on with little bells on the bottom of the robe, and, and people on the outside could hear him moving around and hear the little bells ringing, and, and if those little bells stopped ringing, you could probably assume that he'd been struck down dead while he was, while he was in there. Legend had it that the priest went into the Holy of Holies with, with a rope tied to his ankle, and, and, and the purpose of the rope was so that if he was struck dead, that they could, they could pull him and haul him out without someone having to, to, to go inside there. And so in the Jerusalem temple in the time of Jesus, there was this great thick curtain that separated the most holy place from everyone else. It was, it was four inches thick, and it was 60 feet tall. So if our 
ceiling is 20 feet tall here. Imagine three times taller than, than this uh, ceiling. That's how tall this curtain was and four inches thick. This was not just a little curtain like you have in your windows at home. This was a massive, heavy-duty curtain. And so at the time of Jesus' crucifixion and the time of Jesus' death, Matthew 27 says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This was when Jesus died on the cross. And, and we see here that something really weird and supernatural happens, that this gigantic thick curtain, four inches thick, 60 feet tall, all of a sudden was sliced in two somehow, broken in two, broken in half. And we see that, that God intended for this to happen. In Jesus, we see that, that Jesus himself became our sacrificial lamb. Jesus himself became our high priest. So instead of coming to a priest to confess your sins, now we can come straight into God's presence. That, that curtain is gone, and we can come straight into God's presence, each one of us individually. You don't need a high priest to come to God for you anymore. You can come into God's presence yourself. Now we are washed. Now we are purified by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to have animal sacrifices out here in our parking lot this morning. Thank God we don't, you know, because, you know, I think worshiping God back in, in Israelite times was a, just a bloody, gory mess. I mean, you brought your animals and you sacrificed them and there was blood going everywhere and, and it, was, it was quite a mess. So thank God Jesus is our one and only sacrifice, sacrificial lamb that we don't have to go through animal sacrifices anymore. Because of Jesus, now we have free, unrestricted access to come into God's presence. Each one of us, each day, can come in to the presence of God. We can step into that, that holy place, into God's presence, just like the high priest used to. And so, through Jesus, God has created this great family of people rich and poor, young and old, male and female, powerful and weak, but who love each other, who care for each other, who support and encourage each other, who sacrifice for each other, who work together, who pray together. In the, in the New Testament, there were, there were Christians who, who sold, sold their properties and gave, gave the money so that the poor people could, could uh, be helped. We have a great family of people around the world who work together side by side without, you know, it doesn't have to be male dominance and female retaliation and frustration, but it can be working together side by side in ministry. I, I love this picture in Revelation 7 of, of what, what heaven looks like and what heaven is going to look like. And, and, the Apostle John writes in his, in his vision of, of heaven in Revelation chapter 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches on their hands. And you get this picture of this 
you know, there's this amazing level ground at the cross of Jesus where, you know, high and mighty and rich and important people are just equal or share equal space and share equal significance with the, the lowest, the poorest, the marginalized, and the least. There are going to be people in heaven like you, and there are going to be a lot of people in heaven who are not like you. Uh, there will be people in heaven are, who are c- completely different from you in almost every way, but they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I just want to uh, uh, tell you how, how amazed I am at the walls that Jesus has broken down in, in his death and resurrection. Uh, next steps for you this week. I want to encourage you this morning in becoming a Jesus follower, like Simon the Zealot, like Matthew the tax collector. Just as Jesus called each one of those 12, so he simply calls to each one of us, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Jesus isn't calling you necessarily right now to leave your town or your job. Maybe that'll come later. But he says, just come and follow me. And the most important call of Jesus is to follow him, to imitate him, to study him, to become like him. I encourage you uh, this week, take some time in the Gospels and, you know, just read or listen or soak in the personhood of Jesus and who he was and who he is. Jesus calls you to be his disciple, his, his follower. And he calls us to help others become disciples of Jesus too. I want to warn you, following Jesus will radically change your life when you honestly lay everything down on the line before him. I believe that too often people come to Jesus, but they want to hang on to their old sinful habits. They want to hang on to their old sinful identities. They want to hang on to their old sinful lifestyles. And, and they want to uh, you know, hang on to that. Jesus says, lay it all down on the line and, and follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, Simon the Zealot laid everything down on the line before him. I believe that eventually Matthew left his tax collection. Uh, I believe that Simon left his zealotness. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out preaching about Jesus, and, and both ultimately gave their lives for, for Jesus. You know, the best thing of all about Jesus is that now there's no wall of separation between you and God. Because of Jesus, you can step right up into that, into that holy place in God's presence where people never dared to go for fear of their lives. And God, you know what? When you step into that holy place with God, He delights in you being there. He invites you in. He's your heavenly Father who dearly loves you more than you will ever know. So He calls you in. He invites you in. He says, come and be with me. Number one, become a Jesus follower. Number two, ask God to shine a light inside of you and to spotlight any ungodly prejudices, hatreds, preferences, judgments, assumptions, and repent and turn away from them. And so I ask, where do you tend to lump all people of a group or ethnicity into one unfavorable assumption? Where do we lump people together? And... and uh, 
Each one of us could probably fill in the blanks. All blank are racist. All blank are terrorists. All blank are lazy. All blank will steal from you. And you could probably fill in, fill in those, those assumptions and, and those judgments that, that we've made against people. When someone comes to Jesus, he or she is now in your family. He or she is your brother or sister. Jesus tears down the walls of division. So instead of lumping your Christian brother or sister together into some ethnic stereotype, I just invite you, have a conversation. Strike up a conversation. Talk to someone you would not normally talk to. I bet there are some people in here that you've never talked to and, and that you don't even know who they are, what their name is. Talk to someone you would not normally talk to. Learn to know their name. Learn to know who they are. Find out where they live. Find out where they came from. You know what? The older I get, the more I realize that I didn't know. But, but one thing I have learned is that everyone has a story. And everyone has a past. Everyone has uh, you know, a family they came from. Everyone has a story. And most people, some don't, but most people like to tell their story. And most people like to be asked, who are you and, and what's your story? So get to know some people around you here in our church family that you wouldn't normally talk to. Everyone has a story. And maybe, just maybe, in our lives, in our hearts, in our mindsets, God will help us to, to just crumble those walls down just a little bit more. Would you stand your feet with me this morning? Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your examples in Scripture of the breaking down of walls. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray this morning that you would just begin to break down any walls that are in our church here, in our mindsets, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. I pray that you'd just begin to move and work in renewing us. And Lord, I pray for those uh, who may not even yet have chosen to follow Jesus, who may be like Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth or, or the fishermen who are fishing at their nets. And Lord, this morning, I pray that uh, each person here, here would hear the call of Jesus saying, come and follow me. Lord, I pray that this morning there would be honest uh, steps forward to, to follow Jesus, even for the first time or for you who are maybe have drifted far away from God and would take steps back to following Jesus again. So Lord, thank you this morning that your call is always there for us to come and follow you. Lord, I pray for honest and, and eager uh, laying down of, of lives this morning before you. Lord, would you touch and change our hearts, touch and change our minds. Lord, show us where there are walls in our, in our hearts, in our lives, in our mindsets that need to be broken down in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just, we just speak to the breaking down, the crumbling of walls here this morning, Lord, in our hearts, in our lives. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We're going to be here for prayer. I'd like to invite prayer ministers to come. 
Uh, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If there's a need for healing in your life, there's a, uh, just a mountain that you've been walking through this morning, we invite you to come for prayer. You say, maybe I've had prayer for that before. I don't care how many times you've had prayer for that. Come again. We, we'd love to pray for you this morning. So, Lord, I bless this church as we go from here today. Lord, I pray that we would take the church outside the walls this week. Lord, I pray that we would be your ambassadors as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.